there I am. I uh, want to start uh, a one-week series with you, and I want to end a one-week series with you. How about that? I wanted to do a one-off this week on giving thanks to God. Um, you know, the Bible tells me not to worry, <clears throat> but I got a lot of things to worry about. Amen, Tony. The Bible tells me not to worry, but there are a lot of things to worry about. I mean, I worry about everything. I literally do. I I like to think of myself as not being a worrier, but if you ask my family, I'm a worrier. I worry about my kids. You know, I worry when they get in their car and they drive down the street. I worry um, about the decisions that they make. I worry about their future. I worry about all kinds of things. I mean, not only do I worry about my kids, but I worry about the micro thousands of things that are in their lives. I worry about those things. I worry about my wife. You do too, right? No, I'm just kidding. I, my wife is awesome. I love my wife, but I worry, you know, for her and her safety. And I worry about those. I worry about finances. Uh, you know, I got a daughter getting married in April. You sure you want to do this? Um, You know, weddings aren't cheap. I worry about college. I worry about finances. I worry about all these things. I worry about the church. I really do. Uh, Not that I probably need to, but I worry about the church. I worry about whether we're accomplishing God's mission. I worry if we're doing what God's called us to do. I worry about those things. I worry about my parents. You know, they're getting older, and I worry about their health, and I worry about COVID and and whether they're going to get it or not. My whole family got it and got over it, but they didn't get it yet, and so I'm worried about that. I'm worried about you. I really do. I think of many of you, and some of my staff can tell you I talk about you. Not about you, but I talk about you. How are they doing? Have you heard from them? Have What's going on in their life? And, and I worry about your health, and I worry about your situation. And man, there's just a lot of things to worry about. I worry about our country and our world. And How can I be anxious about nothing when it seems everything can be worried about? I'm going to assume this morning that in my little confession moment here that I'm not alone. I'm going to assume that you worry too. You worry about next week, tomorrow, next month, next year. You worry about this situation. You worry about your kids. You worry about your jobs. You worry about COVID. You worry about the community. I'm guessing that I'm not alone in this struggle because I know you're human and you worry. We all have plenty of things to worry about, especially in the context of today, right? So Friday night, we were having some dinner with some friends, and man, they were just good friends in our church, and they had a pastor appreciation thing, and uh, Dave Postoloff was there. I know you wouldn't think, you didn't know we were friends, Uh, but we are, aren't we, Dave? They were sitting there around the table, and Dave has, what, 90 years of, oh, 80 years of experience, 76 years, 8 years of experience. I started at 90, just, I'd hit somewhere in there. I'm going to leave people guessing, because you are a man of mystery. 
But Dave was sitting around there, and Dave said something very, in his 80 years almost of experience with him, he says, in all my years of living, I've never seen what I am seeing today. You remember saying that? And it just kind of struck me, and I thought, wow, you know, this is true. Nobody's ever seen or been through what we're going through. I always kind of laugh about us Americans because we've had it pretty good. I think other places in the world are like, what's wrong with you guys? We've been living like this for years, right? It's the context. I know that you have internal and external forces in your life that's causing stress. It's causing worry. It's causing anxiety. I know that you worry about your health. I know you worry about your, your friends, your family. I know you worry about your jobs and your finances. I know all of this, and I understand this. I also know this, that worry steals the joy in my life. And of all the things that we have been called to, Christians, all of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, all of us who call ourselves believers of Jesus, of all things in the New Testament that we should always have is to be a joyful people in all circumstances. I know worry steals the joy because it steals the joy out of my life, so it must steal the joy out of yours. You ever hear of the worry worm? Somebody coined that phase, phrase years ago, and I think it's because they saw worry like a worm. Some of you are gardeners. Some of you are good gardeners. Some of you will leave it there. Gardening is hard work. I love it at my family, my kids, my wife. Everybody come about April is so excited about planting a garden. And then comes June and July, and nobody loves the garden anymore because the weeds are growing, right? Gardening's hard work, planting it. I remember one year my wife, when we lived in Bristol, planted some rose bushes in front of our house. And they were beautiful. I mean, it was amazing to me how they grew and they budded and they bloomed. And there were these beautiful roses. And I remember one morning we woke up and came out and we looked at these beautiful roses that were there the previous day. And they looked like Swiss cheese. There were holes eaten through all the petals. And it just looked like it wasn't pretty. And I remember doing some investigation. We started digging into the petals and there he was, a worm. They were beautiful flowers. But the worm had found its way to the petals and began to eat its way through. Worry is like the worm that eats its way through our heart and our minds. We need an antidote to worry. We need something, because we all worry, we need something that's going to kill the worry in our life. Well, I got good news for you today. Paul talked a lot about worry. Paul talked a lot about joy and happiness. Paul talked a lot about anxiety. And Paul actually to the Philippian church, and that's where I'm going to be today is in the book of Philippians. 
the Philippian church was under excruciating internal and external pressure. And Paul wrote a lot about unity and about joy. And in the midst of those circumstances, how we could have joy in the middle of the worry. Joy is the major, I mean, the major theme of the book of Philippians. It makes sense that Paul would address worry and anxiety because worry and anxiety kill joy. So we're in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading with chapter 4, verse 4. This is the end of the letter. This is the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is the conclusion. And he gives some exhortation. This is what Paul does in most of his letters. He gets down to the end and he gives some exhortation. You say, what do you mean? He gives commands to his people. He commands them. And so here's the first command Paul gives to his Philippian church that's being pressured from the inside and out. And they're worried and anxious. He says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Easy for you to say, Paul. (laughs) Actually, it wasn't. But Paul, you don't live in 2020. No, he lived in harder times. Notice that Paul says rejoice In the Lord. Not rejoice in all circumstances. What is Paul really getting at here? What is Paul trying to tell us? He's saying rejoice in the Lord. Does he mean that there's always something to rejoice in? Does he mean that uh, uh, even though we're in Christ, just because bad things, you know, well, I got cancer. Amen, amen. Should we rejoice in the circumstances? There is a difference between rejoicing in the Lord and rejoicing in the circumstance. Does he mean that those who have Jesus in their life will find reason to rejoice no matter what the circumstance? It seems difficult to rejoice when your job is insecure or lost, when death has happened in your family, when you're afraid of COVID, when you're afraid of what's happening in our culture, when you're afraid of financial problems, it's very difficult to rejoice. But Paul is not telling us that we should rejoice in the circumstances. He's telling us to rejoice in the Lord. Here's what I believe Paul really means. He's saying this to you and to me and to the Philippian church. Church, the living presence of Jesus in your lives is reason for joy. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the circumstance, no circumstance can ever take that away from you. Jesus, his living presence in us, is a reason to rejoice. Notice what else Paul says. Rejoicing is not an option. When you look at the original language, it's an emphatic command. Paul isn't saying, well, if you feel like it, rejoice. If you're having a good day, rejoice. He's telling the church, he's commanding them emphatically. You say, what do you mean emphatically? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Let me say it again. When somebody does that, 
they really want you to hear this. He is commanding them to rejoice. It's at the beginning and the end. But there's something else in this one little verse. Paul uses a verb for rejoice, and it's in the plural. It's in the plural. Why would he be talking to a person and use a plural verb? Paul, get this, Paul doesn't just want us to rejoice alone. Paul wants us to rejoice together. He sees joy as something that comes from a common a common um, connectedness of people around the person of Jesus, that we come together. There's something else about this. Paul uses a verb that is in the present tense, the continual tense. What does he mean by that? Paul's saying this, don't just rejoice as an sporadic outburst when something bad happens. Don't just muster it up. Don't just take a moment and say, well, you know, this is really, really bad. This sucks really bad, but I'm going to rejoice and have this moment of joy. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul uses a verb that's in the present uh, tense, and what he's saying is that joy, rejoicing, is not a momentary outburst, but, but rejoicing is a habit. It's a discipline. It's something that you have to discipline yourself to do. You have to discipline every moment of every day. You have to take it in and discipline your life. Listen, to rejoice in the Lord means that Jesus is not just a source of rejoicing, but he is the object of rejoicing. So as the people of God, we gather, we come together to rejoice, to celebrate in the midst of all that's going on in our life, in the midst of all the trials and the tribulations, in the midst of all the bad circumstances and the good circumstances, we discipline ourselves to rejoice because Jesus and his living presence is with us no matter what. We don't just rejoice because Jesus might change our circumstance. Sometimes he doesn't. We rejoice because Jesus is greater than any circumstance that you ever go through. We rejoice, I get this, nevertheless. Karl Barth was a famous theologian. I love to read his stuff. He said this, joy in Philippians is a defiant nevertheless which Paul sets like a full stop against the Philippians' anxiety. It's when you're going through it. It's when you're in the middle of it. It's when you're worrying, worrying, worrying that you decide and you discipline yourself with someone else to rejoice. Nevertheless, even though he may slay me, nevertheless, I will rejoice because of who he is. Verse 5. It was quite a bit in that one little verse, wasn't there? But he goes on. Command number two. He says, let your gentleness 
be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I want to break this verse up. I'm going to tell you why here in a second. But this is Paul's second. The first one is rejoice in the Lord. The second one is let your gentleness be evident to all. And in the context of what Paul is talking about here, Paul uses a word for gentleness. It may be translated a little differently in your Bible, but most Bibles will translate it gentleness. Some Bibles translate reasonableness. Paul uses a word that we find in non-biblical Greek texts. It refers to a person who is willing to be magnanimous above and beyond what is fair. This is interesting. Don't, don't lose this. You're thinking, what does this have anything to do with joy and worry? And What does this have anything to do? Listen to me. This is an antidote to worry. Paul, in the middle of that, he says, rejoice, first command. Second command, Paul says this, be compassionate people. Paul's antidote to worry and to anxiety involves me being more concerned about my neighbor and what they're going through than my own problems. There's something that happens when we take the focus off of our problems And we begin to look for ways to help those. Listen to me. No matter what you're going through, there's always someone who's got it worse. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying in this moment where it's trying to steal your joy, where being anxious, anxiety's coming on you, and the the pressures of life are coming at you, and you're worried, and you're tempted to give in to the worry, he says, look, let your gentleness be evident to all. Be compassionate. Now, I want to break out. You know, the Bible was written when they wrote the Bible. When Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapters and verses. You all know that, right? If you ever look at an old manuscript, um, ancient manuscript, the Greek was actually just written just like no nothing. And you had to kind of figure out where the breaks were. It's just a constant letter. You had to figure it out. But what the Bible writer, what the interpreters did, they did something great for us. Anybody like the chapters and verses? Yeah, I do. Trust me, I've read and interpreted the lines of Greek, and it's hard to understand. I, I usually would open my Bible and look and say, oh, this is verse four, chap, chapter 4, verse 5. It was never written like that. But in this verse, I don't like what some of the interpreters did here because it's, I think it's led us to a misinterpretation of what this means. Verse 5 says, let your gentleness be ever and all. And then he says, the Lord is near. And then in verse 6, he's going to say, don't be anxious. And I think we misinterpret the Lord is near. Some have taken this to be a reference to the second coming of Jesus. And some interpret this as Paul saying, life is pretty bad right now for you. But just hang on, because in the future, Jesus is near, he's coming back. Well, look, that doesn't help me now, right? It's okay. You know, you're going through it. Things are really bad, but Jesus is coming. He's near. He's going to come back. He's going to make it all right. Well, that was 2,000 years ago, and he hasn't come back yet. 
I don't think that's what Paul meant. I don't think Paul meant, be, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is coming. Just, just hang in there. Just do as much good as you can. Hang in there. I don't think that's what it means. I like to interpret that little phrase, the Lord is near, with verse 6. The Lord is near, don't be anxious. I believe Paul is telling the Philippians and us that Jesus is a present help now. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going, you don't have to wait till Jesus comes back to make it right. He will give you what you need now. He is near. He is the living presence in you and around you in all circumstances. I love to watch new families walk through the door with little kids. Some of you I've watched recently come in with little kids. I I love to watch it because here's what I love. When they walk through the door and those little kids are looking around, they're like hanging on to mom or dad or grandma or grandpa's leg. And you walk up to them and say, hi, what's your name? And they just kind of slide right behind. Because they're nervous. They're unfamiliar with the environment They're unfamiliar with the place. And here's the thing. The unknown scares us. When Paul said the Lord is near, don't be anxious about anything. Here's what I think he really is given a picture. And I remember this with my kids when they were scared. Walking through a dark room. They just kind of reach up and grab your hand. They're that close. I think that's what Paul's getting at. And whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle, whatever your worry, whatever you're anxious about, the Lord is near enough to just reach out and grab a hold of his leg, his arm, his hand. He's that near. Now, that doesn't mean you have, you're not going to walk through what you're going to walk through. The joy isn't in the environment changing. The joy is in that you have the Lord near you and with you as you walk through it. That's the joy. Philippians chapter 6. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is the third exhortation. Do not be anxious about anything and pray for everything. Paul sees worry and anxiety as a counterproductive thing in our life. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the circumstance. It doesn't change what you're worried about. It just it's counterproductive to what God wants to do in our life. It accomplishes nothing. In fact, the only thing it displays in our lives is just how much we don't trust the Lord. There's a quote from a commentator that wrote, the Christian is not to live a careless or uncaring life, but is to live life without a care in the world, which is to say without anxiety attack. Paul's main antidote 
to worry is prayer. The best way to stop worry about anything would be to pray about everything. But it's not just a prayer and a petition. Notice what Paul says. Can we go back to that verse 6? He says, by prayer and petition, but it's not just asking God to change everything so I don't have to worry, but it's with thanksgiving. It's having a grateful heart for what he has already done. It's about being thankful for what God's already done in your life. Thanksgiving, as John Wesley said, is the surest evidence of a soul free from anxiety. Thanksgiving is the surest evidence of a soul free. Paul uses a word, Eucharistia, which is the word that we get the Eucharist from. You all know what the Eucharist is, right? If you don't, it is the table of the Lord. It is where we go as a Thanksgiving table to feast on what God has prepared for us. His own body. We go to that table thankful with thanksgiving that Jesus has given his life for us. That Jesus has made a way for us. That Jesus has opened the door for us to have a relationship with God. We can know God through Jesus. And we should be thankful. And so when we're worrying, when we're anxious, when things are going really rough and tough in our life, we pray and we ask God, but we do it with thanksgiving. So the antidote to worry is threefold. The first one is, We should rejoice in the Lord always. The second one is focus on the needs of others. And the third is pray with thanksgiving. You know, I don't think too highly of my sermons, but y'all probably ought to write that down. I'll give you time. Ten seconds. Do y'all see the notes that we gave you? You can take notes. There's pencils somewhere in front of you. You might have to reach a little further today if you have to reach... I'd write that down. The next time you feel overwhelmed, the next time you're going through circumstances, the next time that you are tempted to just give in and to worry and be anxious, remember this, rejoice in the Lord always, focus on the needs of others, and pray about everything with thanksgiving in your heart. And you will start to see something happen in your life. You say, well, what will happen? Verse 7. And the peace of God. This is the only place in Scripture where the peace of God is referred to like this. It's the peace of God. That's amazing. Which transcends all understanding. Will Listen, will guard your hearts and your minds like the worm that's eating through your heart and your mind and causing you to become anxious and in despair and in depressed because of your circumstance. That little worm can't get through the peace of God because he is standing guard around your heart and your mind in Christ. Listen, verse 7 might just be the most interesting statement that Paul has made in this section of Philippians. Paul says that when we practice this threefold antidote to worry, there's a promise. 
Paul uses this military image like an army standing guard around a city where nobody can get in. Those protecting those inside the city and those outside that want to come in and create harm and cause harm. They can't get through the army protecting the city. And this is what Paul is giving us an image of. It's a military image. The peace of God will stand guard around your hearts and your minds. And worry will not create problem for you. The peace of God, it's interesting, in the biblical meaning, it does not mean that your life will be free from conflict. I know we think peace means no conflict, no, no you know, stress, no whatever, anxiety. But this word, the peace of God, Paul is referring to a peace that transcends all understanding. I can understand there not being conflict. I can understand there not being stress and anxiety. I can understand there not being problems in my life. I can get that. But what I don't understand is when I'm standing in the middle of a conflict or a stress or a worry or an anxious thought and something bad is happening around me, what I don't understand is how the peace of God can be a calming, healing presence. That's what peace means. It transcends our understanding because when we experience that peace, it happens when we least expect it. In circumstances that seem impossible, all of a sudden we have a faith in a possible God. God's peace comes over us. So what are you going to do with your worry? I know you got it. And some of you are probably saying, and I like to try to think what some of you might say to me as I'm preaching. And I wrote this down. Tony, let me get this straight. Christians should never worry. Now, if this is what your takeaway is from the message today, I want you to think a little bit broader than that. Then if, if that's your takeaway, then you're just going to become an inauthentic person. If you're going to go out and pretend because you're a Christian that you never worry, you're going to be inauthentic. Nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to understand that. You'll have this constant feeling of guilt because let me tell you, you're going to worry. (laughs) Worry is a part of our lives. You say, well, pastor, I thought you were just telling me we shouldn't worry. Mm, That's not really what Paul's saying. Even the apostle Paul worried. Have you ever read his letters? Have you ever read Romans and Corinthians and Philippians and Ephesians? How about Galatians? Man, was he worried about the Galatian church. Paul worried. Paul was concerned. Paul worried about his churches, about their spiritual condition. He worried about relationships. He worried about their lives. That's why he wrote the letters. (coughs) Here's what our takeaway should be this morning. (coughs) Excuse me. You will always have worries in life. Worry will lead you down a road that will diverge to two paths. And you have to choose which one you're going to take. Problems will come. Circumstances will happen. 
trials and tribulations are going to happen. And all of us are on this journey. And at some point, we're going to hit that roadblock. And that roadblock's going to split into two directions. To the left is going to be the road that takes us down toward anxiety and depression and despair. And we're going to let the worry just overwhelm us. And we're not going to rejoice. And we're not going to look to others' needs before our own. And we're just going to become so self-centered on what's going on in my life. And we're not going to pray about it. And so we're just going to become anxious and worrisome. And, and we're just going to go down that road. And that will lead to a certain path. But you have another choice. And that is to take the road that I laid out this morning. One of rejoicing, one of self-sacrifice and loving your neighbor more than yourself. One of prayer with thanksgiving. Which road, now this is interesting, which road you choose, it's your choice. God is not going to do this for you. Just listen to me. God is not going to do this for you. This is a disciplined response to your worries in life. God promises to be down the one road. But if we choose the other, He will not engage us if we don't engage Him. Paul says, for those who believe... Those who trust God, worry should push us toward others, each other, and rejoicing. This is why Sundays are important. Cause, worry should cause us to realize other people have it worse than me. And it should drive us to our knees. So this is the antidote to worry. Number one, when you worry, rejoice in the Lord always. Number two, Focus on the needs of others. And number three, pray with thanksgiving in your heart. Can you imagine what your life would be like? How different your day would be if you simply practice these threefold, this threefold antidote to worry? I want you to be a people of thanksgiving. I want you to be a people who of gratitude. I want you to be a people that are not overwhelmed with the concerns and things in life that seek to steal your joy. I want you to be a joyful people. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, this morning I pray for everyone in this room as we enter into this Thanksgiving season, it feels different. Big families are not going to be getting together People aren't traveling as much. Thanksgiving dinner is going to look different. That whole day is going to look different. I know my family, there's people that we typically spend the, the day with that aren't going to be there. And we're concerned. We're worried about our times, Lord. We're worried about everything going on in life. And it has a way to steal our joy. So, Father, this morning... I pray your peace will guard our hearts as an army guards a city. That you will make us strong in you. 
people of faith, people of joy, as we give thanks this week and every week for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I've got a few announcements.